Hi and welcome to the School Should Be podcast, a chance to hear from students, teachers and professionals to learn about all the things school should be. My name is Zahara and I am the founder of School Should Be. I've worked in schools for the past 10 years in a variety of roles from a classroom teacher to an education consultant. Schools are clouded by so many barriers, however my experience has shown me it is possible to overcome social and economic hurdles, archaic curriculum structures and be part of the unlearning process that our students and teachers need now more than ever. This podcast will explore a variety of themes, topics and viewpoints, all of which can make school a better place for students and teachers. I hope it helps you learn and smile along the way too. Please do leave a review, share and help us grow the School Should Be community. Right, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the School Should Be podcast. Um, I'm really excited for this episode because I just think it's going to be so interesting. I'm joined by Anusha Atik, um, a teacher um, in Pakistan. She is also a mentor and innovator in uh, curriculum design, training and development. Um, Hi Anusha, how are you? I'm good, Zahara. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for being here. I'm so excited just because we've had so many, Anusha and I have had so many interesting conversations. It feels like I've known her for such a long time, yeah, although right. we've literally just met through LinkedIn and we said like Anusha sent me a message and I said, yeah, it would be great to chat. And one of the first questions I asked her was, what is it like in Pakistan? And I felt really um, silly asking that question, especially as a British Pakistani teacher, whereby I live with extreme privilege in this country, almost thinking that whether it be, and this is something that we're going to be talking about today, whether it be colonialism, whether it be Western privilege, um, Anusha would somehow know more about my background in England and my background in teaching than I know about hers and I think if we're going to educate children today and want them to be true global citizens in this country across the world it's so important for them to understand from the get-go really so from the moment they step into school what it's like for children, for teachers in other countries, the good, bad, the commonalities, the differences, because that's the only way we can really create true, like kind of global citizenship, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. So before I go on, because I could talk forever, um, Anusha, tell, tell us a bit about yourself, your school experience, and what led you to teaching? Ah, it's a great question, Zahara. So um, I am a primary school teacher. I teach uh, early years, grade two, and uh, there are a bunch of uh, sneaky little seven to eight-year-olds. Um, and so I, I'll give you a little background about myself. I graduated from LUMS, which is one of the top universities at my own country, and it also has an international ranking. So um, I do come from a very privileged uh, background. And um, as far as like my teaching experience is concerned, I graduated uh, two years ago, I did accounting and finance, but then took some courses in education. And that really sparked my interest. And I felt like this is something that kind of really resonates with me, to me on a very personal level. And sort of, you know, and when I did more research on education, got to know about education, uh, you know, uh, more about um, 
the atmosphere, you know, of education in my country. And I realized that I have around, you know, around 22 million kids out of school as well. So that kind of motiv motivated me to enter the education sector because I want to do something for those kids. And for that, I really needed to understand what the education system is like, like on the grassroots level, because again, it's a vast field education, right? There's curriculum development, there's policy making, there's teacher training, uh, there's teaching itself. But teaching gives you that really, you know, that I think that exposure that really kind of makes you understand where your kind of path lies. So that was my motivation. And um, I'm really enjoying it, to be honest, so far so uh, good. And you said like I felt like obviously you're, you're teaching primary so in our over here that would be um like you said seven-year-olds right so yeah. kind of year one year two if I'm because I'm secondary so I teach I my background is uh teenagers so I have no idea how any teacher copes with the little ones but um uh, it's insane but it's rewarding as well because um the, as a first because this is my first year teaching so um I definitely struggled with classroom management I remember because I, I was a really nice teacher right like listening to them and then it comes up and there comes a point where kids these days are super um clever and they're like they have lots of awareness right uh much more than I did because like they're digital natives right so like they're they're much more aware and I remember they used to like literally take this they used to take advantage of me right like I was I used to get manipulated by them so uh, there were once there's this uh, student, she's like, Miss Anusha, I just, I'm, 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 I'm exhausted. I can't write anymore. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, I'll give you some break. And I remember the first uh, a couple of months, uh, I was really kind of navigating uh, my way through this entire classroom management thing. And I remember uh, in one of my classes, I started the lesson and there was like two kids running after each other. Uh, there were, you know, a, a kid playing with slime and, uh, you know, but they, they were doing everything but, you know, listening to me. So yeah. it, was, yeah. it was definitely a learning experience, but I really kind of uh, enjoyed it because I feel like the, uh, when, especially when the students, when they appreciate you, they used to like give me these love notes. I really love you, Miss Anusha. You're really nice. Um, so that, it, it's rewarding. Um, and it's like theater. You know how you know in, in theater you get like live reaction from the audience so i know when my students have loved my lessons you know i could i can see their reaction and i know when i've done a shitty job at you know uh delivering my lessons so i think i really love that part as well and that is so great to hear because i think that's really similar to um experiences of teachers here like very similar and I think I don't know why I don't know why I would never have thought of what teaching for you is like over there um but just going back to sort of like you, you the dynamics you've spoken about your classroom are so similar to dynamics here as well um but you also mentioned uh that there are 22 million students out of, or children out of education um now over here, for example, we do have things like homeschooling. Um, so parents are able to homeschool their children. Um, they are, there are things like forest schools, new schools being set up. So those types of, and obviously we have private independent education as well. So those sorts of um, establishments mean that by and large, 
the majority I'd like to think the majority of children in this country they are getting some form and standard of education yes we all know and this is just like just in case anybody's listening and gonna go but we all know that there are like you said um differences in the fund in funding in um uh, resources from school to school in opportunities for certain communities certain geographical areas however the parallel like to say that similar to pakistan i don't know whether that's a fair parallel to draw because i personally and i might be completely wrong i may be completely wrong but the impact of 22 million children being out of education in pakistan that's like a the impact of that i think is quite well you tell me what's the impact of that on your country on your um on their on their on their progress i mean i know it might be sound like an obvious answer but i don't think it actually is an obvious answer i think there's probably more nuance to it absolutely and thank you for asking this question zahara so i'll i'll set the stage a little bit for you guys right um i'll give you guys a little background uh, before i actually you know answer this question so pakistan is a fairly it's a developing country and we're what like 70 plus years old so we were colonized before right so um, the British kind of ruled over the subcontinent uh, for 200 years. So we're, we're pretty, we're in this developing stage where our education system is also developing and it hasn't developed fully, but it's still developing with time, right? And so the thing is that uh, when it kind of comes to the schooling system right now, we have two different uh, kind of uh, branches of this, right? So we have public schools and we have private schools. Right, so education services are delivered in two main types of schools. Public schools are funded by the state and private schools, they receive external funding. So private schools would have your elite private schools, uh, which are your high-end schools. Uh, then you have your madrasas, which is the traditional Islamic schools, as well as your basic community schools and vocational schools. And there's like a diverse, um, I'd say, uh, you know, we do not limit, like there's not a limit to a single kind of education. There's a huge variation provided in Pakistan. and in that there of course there's a certain chunk of it that is out of school and again that there's a reason for it so some are out of school because they went to a public school and the student didn't really they, there wasn't the kind of quality that they kind of wanted right being delivered so they dropped out some um choose not to go right so their parents for them we have to understand we're a developing country right and for any developing country if you look at the maslow's hierarchy of needs the basic need is for your basic needs security to be met. And for that, you need money, right? You need money for food. You need money for the basics. So some parents choose not to send their child uh, to the school. And for them, the child is more like a source of income for them, right? They, they, they do the cost benefit analysis. And they're like, for me, it's better to kind of send my child, you know, uh, to, for my child to be a source of income. Because the thing is that, like I mentioned, I'll always refer to the fact that we're a developing country. And because of the history, we're 70 plus years old, a very, you'd say, a very like a baby, you could say, right? As opposed to countries that have been established and stable for many years, like hundreds of years, they've, you know, they've had the resources and everything. And when you look at our history, our resources were also kind of, you know, were taken away from us, right? So it was like any other colonized state, right? What do colonizers do? They strip the colonized uh, people of their identity. And again, which 
the first impact that I think a huge impact that a colonized state has is on identity, right? And I feel like uh, this is slightly going off tangent, but language has uh, is 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 an important aspect of one's identity, and that also gets dented because uh, of the history. So this our colonized history has a huge impact on the way Pakistan is right now, right? So in that sense, like, for example, if you look at uh, our textbooks, right, our, our language policy, I'd like to think about that. And that's slightly confused. I'm still not sure whether we're, you know, uh, we're clear on, on our language policy uh, because of, you know, that deeply rooted colonized mindset where, yes, we understand, you see, the thing is that our textbooks are primarily in English or in Urdu, right? So for example, a kid will not relate to, uh, you know, Sam, who's white, who's a white boy eating pancakes, right? Uh, he'll more, he'll, he'll appreciate uh, Bilal eating a paratha, anda, right? He'll, he'll, he'll appreciate that more, right? It's, it's close to context, right? It's, and, 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 and again, you see how these textbooks, the kind of textbooks that I also read has, has an impact because if it's not relatable, why will I want to kind of uh, go through and like read those textbooks? So again, the language policy is something that, um, has I feel has had an impact on uh, uh, you know the the schooling and there's also like research shows that uh, I think there was a UNESCO research on that I was reading up on uh, I think was done by UNESCO how you know if a kid is taught in their mother tongue right the, the child is able to understand the concept better you know if if the child is at least taught in his or her mother tongue for the first five to six years the child is able to A, understand the concept better and B, there's a boost in the child's self-confidence and self-esteem, right? So, um, and Pakistan is a country with 70 plus uh, native languages. So I, I feel like our language policies are also kind of uh, fudged up because of uh, uh, us being colonized. And again, colonizers were British, English was you know the lingo, the lingua franca and it was, it still is in Pakistan. It's one of, it's, it's a, you know, Urdu is also an official language, but so is English, right? And again, I understand that it's a, an international language. The fact that I'm able to communicate with you in English is because I know how to speak that, right? And we could connect to anyone all over the world in US and France, you know, people would uh, know English. But then at the same time, I feel like um, language is, 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 a, is a huge part of our identity, right? And that should not sort of that should always be with us and i feel like somewhere down the road when it comes to policies of course because the natives they do speak their own languages we have 70 plus native languages right mm -hmm. not everybody knows how to speak in english like i mentioned i'm part of a minority uh, who does but and that too because of the resources and privilege that i had but um yeah i mean yeah, no, I, oh my God, you've just said so many interesting things there. Like we started off like with the impact on 22 million children. And what I find, and I've just been thinking, I'm very, since I've started School Should Be and having all of these conversations, I'm so aware of my own preconceptions, like unconscious bias, my own sort of, like I'm so much more, thankfully, more aware of my thinking whilst we're having this conversation so for example just going back to what you said about like when you name that figure 22 million that's what stuck in my head right in terms of well that's like crazy but 
it's only crazy to me because of my upbringing here and what I've been taught is acceptable and good and normalized, right? So for example, I've been taught a good education is, um, and obviously I know this is probably a global lesson that we all know that education and learning is the most important, like fundamental key to success. Like, and I, you know, I don't care what anybody says in the world, there is an education isn't just about school learning, it's entrepreneurship. It is, um, like you said, uh, parents weighing up the, like the prag pragmatism, like if they are in a position where, especially with um, schools, like uh, you have to pay for schooling um, in Pakistan, like if they're in a position where like, okay, we can either put food on the table, like I'm, I know that I'm taking it to an extreme, but it is an extreme, I can either put food on the table, or I send my child to school, of course, they're probably going to choose food on the table. And that in itself is a it, I would say it is an informed decision, like for the betterment of their family in that moment. Now, I know that I'd be really interesting to hear from you because, about this, because I guess I'm in two minds about that in that long term. It's a shame that they would almost need to make a sacrifice to educate their child for the betterment of the of their family's future, maybe. Right. Because we all know that education can, like you've said for yourself, it can lead to so many more opportunities. It can lead to better paid work, for example, especially in Pakistan. It can lead to global travel, global communication, learning English as a global language. Um, However, it would re rely on parental sacrifice. And then also, I guess, the impact, so like the kind of side effects of that sacrifice on other children, maybe, their community members, extended family, their living situation. And I, I find it really hard. I don't know. I, well, I guess there isn't a right answer, is there? I guess there isn't a right choice for that parent. They just make the best choice that they possibly can for their child in that moment. Uh, of course, like, I think every parent would want to make like the best choice for um, you know his or her, or her child, right? So at that point, I mean, you could either let's say die of hunger, or you know choose to give provide education to your child, right? So in in that sense. Um, it gets a very difficult choice for the parent to make as well, right? I mean, education has a huge value in Pakistan, like any other country. And I think um, like any other developing country, developing countries have this struggle, this, this, this huge struggle of, of, of fighting for their own security, right? Their earnings, right? Again, for white poverty, right? There's poverty in, in Pakistan. There's there's not many uh, who can, you know, afford the standard of living that perhaps people in the UK are doing, right? Like, I, again, like I mentioned that these developing countries um, also are like, you know, there's, there's lots of potential in these countries, but they're forced to struggle, I'd also say in a bit, um, uh, to quite an extent. And I feel like the world in a way is also scared of their potential. For example, once one is able to kind of escape that line of security, right? Once you get your basic needs are met and you have, let's say, the money, we have lots of potential. I mean, you, you see Pakistanis all around the world. I'll, I'll give you an example. There's the doctor, you know, Dr. Tahir Akhtar, who is an ICU consultant in the NHS. He's a, he's a, he's a Pakistani, right? Um, moved to the UK. So, so you see how the amount of potential one has and the impact one has once you're able to cross that line of security. And 
and developing countries by design sometimes aren't even made to cross that you know do you understand how deeply politicized all this is so it's i'm so glad that you're having these conversations because many times what happens is is that nobody has these conversations yeah, why yeah. because it it gets uncomfortable but why not i'd love to hear your experiences i love how you're open to asking me questions i love how you accept the fact that there are things that you don't know and and i would love to know things from you i we've had these conversations with yes. you but like it's it's just it's it's good to know that's how you kind of because like i mentioned like everything has its perspectives and background i wish histories were taught in a different light i wish you know i mean for example i wish people were told i mean when when we going back to the debate of decolonizing uh, your curriculum i wish people were taught that jesus is not white right i wish people were taught that the first universities were in uh, morocco were moroccan were in morocco or in like the subcontinent india i wish people knew this i wish that during our schools when we are having uh, when 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 students let's say are reading a particular text their teachers are there to facilitate their learning you know being facilitators is like quite the uh, vogue these days right <laughs> not being the sage on the stage guide on the side i wish the guide on the side could actually tell the child you know that you know let's let's question this right i question history for what it is 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 it is this like the accurate depiction of history or should we actually go and talk to people first hand let's talk to african people you know when we're talking about enlightenment and slavery let's go and talk to people first hand what 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 was it like for africans for asians let's talk to people first hand and understand right instead of um reading a book written by of course you know um because books are written history oh, you have agendas right like there's always anywhere like even if i would read a pakistan history right pakistan history would obviously would not talk about pakistan being a bad country right so similarly history is all over the world have a bias to it right i think we were talking about this last time as well how i'm i'm wearing a black shirt right that's a fact but if i say this shirt looks really bad on me or this black color looks really good on me that's a perspective that's an opinion opinions are neither right or wrong right they they're formed by my experiences that's how my perspective is formed and i feel like it's very important to be able to know both sides of a perspective both sides of a story to become tolerant individuals you know to 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 become individuals who understand the other side as well i feel like i mean you know this as well now more than ever with whatever is you know with with the entire issues that are happening around the world i feel like now more than ever we need to be tolerant to different ideas and to say that you know if group a thinks a certain way well then group b must also be thinking something right so what's their perspective let's try to kind of scratch the surface and understand because there's always two sides of a story sahara and i think as individuals as global citizens it's our responsibility to do our own research because the things that you see on the t- television or the media again has its own agenda like i mentioned just like our education system is deeply politicized so is our media everyone has their own agendas and in that chaos i mean you've also mentioned this as well that it, it gets dif- it gets difficult to navigate these waters right we're digital citizens and in around 10 years from now i think every single person will be connected to every other person around the world 
it'll be this globalized. I mean, I didn't know you, Zahara, right? I just happened to, you know, we, we connected through LinkedIn. Do you see the power of that? Do you see how we can, it's, it's quite easy to understand the other perspective. Do you see how you, by talking to me, got to understand a different side of Pakistan than, let's say, a, a notion that you had? Do you see, so I may not know about the actual, let's say, cultures that perhaps aren't in Pakistan, right? And that is possible if I have these conversations with, without that bias in my mind. So to unlearn what I, and I feel like one of the basic roles of education globally, as well as in Pakistan should be to enable the child with the right tools to be able to unlearn and relearn. Because I think now more than ever, it's really important to be, because it's, you see, I have a certain perspective, right? I have a certain mindset and, that I've been conditioned into it for many years, right? And so is the case with people around the world. So, if, But then it's my responsibility as an individual, like I mentioned earlier, that I need to then unlearn and say that, you know, Anushay, is this the right perspective? Should I take a look at something else? Or... I was just going to say, like, for me, that is, like, by extension, I think that's one of the key sort of as much as social media is absolutely fantastic, like it connected us, like I would never, when would I ever have been able to connect with you, you know, 10 to 15 years ago? Like, okay, yes, Facebook, blah, blah, well, no, not even, like it just wouldn't have happened. Even Facebook wasn't here 15 years ago. There was no Facebook, no Twitter, nothing. Exactly. And I, and I find that, um, just going back to what you said about uh, creating like tolerant individuals. See, even that word, like obviously that word has got like a lot of negative connotations attached to it that we should be accepting, not tolerant. Absolutely true. But actually sometimes I'm like, it's in certain situations, it's okay to disagree as long as you have humanity and humanitarian cause at the at the sort of core of what you're disagreeing or agreeing on. So by that, like, you know, there are lots of memes that go around on social media, which I've mentioned before as well, that like, you know, we can agree to disagree, except for when it comes to things like racism, inequality, um, prejudice, uh, homophobia, all of that sort of stuff, regardless of your beliefs, your... Um, uh, your own personal agenda you on a humanitarian people the most simplest of levels politics aside to me that isn't complex when people try to justify and start making that area complex that's when I check out that's when mm. I just become not a teacher and I'm like right there's no sort of like balanced teacher in this head now like you almost need to at that point obviously there is by the way like I'm not like <laughs> that's just me being <laughs> exaggerating but like there is like kind of like there has to be and this is what I think is the core of decolonizing the curriculum where there has to be a level within the classroom if you are going if me as a western teacher of Pakistani heritage if and equally, you could argue I'm an immigrant, I'm displaced, my family heritage was dispossessed at some point. We, my I personally didn't, but my family experienced a great deal of trauma, escaping countries, escaping regime. And I say escaping because it was an escape. It was an escape to sort of make sure your family and your people had a better, could in some respects live in peace. Like that's not that's not necessarily the heritage that, you know, I would 
like going back would you choose that heritage I don't know like would you want to know that your family have escaped um hardship would you want to know that your family or your history has at some point been colonized and ruled over and treated in a very negative way no you as people it sort of in a way made us way more empathetic to think regardless of your race your geographical status your area your country's political interests you we are all people like we are all like there's just there's just no need to like extend that sentence we're all people we all deserve to live in peace period like there's no there's no sort of I just don't feel like there's anything to add to that sentence personally. Um, and like what you said about decolonizing the curriculum, sorry, I know I keep going off on a tangent. No, please. Is <laughs> like this idea that in this country, for example, most recently, and it's a good thing, it's an app, I think it's a fantastic thing where we are trying to work harder to decolonize the curriculum, to make schools um, for children more uh equitable um make them uh, so that students do like you said they are equipped with the critical thinking skills that they can look at history from different perspectives however one of the sort of and i think maybe i can say this as a non-white as a person of color right maybe i can say this maybe that's why i feel quite confident saying this in that if you're going to decolonize the curriculum, you have to decolonize it in a way that suits and is acceptable to the country yeah. and to the people that you're decolonizing Absolutely. it for. Like you of can't- de- you can say this. Right? Like you just, <laughs> you can't decolonize the curriculum to suit yeah. the colonizer or the once colonizer, because that in itself is just sort of sugarcoating yeah. and tokenism. Like it's just not, like it's almost like you can, we can all create a fair, balanced, um, uh, diplomatic, uh, acceptable curriculum. Of course we can, but sometimes it's not fair. Like sometimes the facts of history aren't fair, but that's okay because what you're trying to teach your future generations is that we don't want this to happen again. We don't, like at some point, hundreds of years ago, there were people and individuals who did some very horrible, barbaric, inhumane things. That's a fact. Like there's no, I just, I don't know, like for me, like there's no argument about that. That doesn't mean that we have a discussion about, oh, but it was complex and, you know, we've got to think about this, we've got to think about that. Of course. Exactly. And do not let history repeat itself, Zahra. Let's not let let individuals that understand, like like you mentioned, we're all people, right? Let's to look everyone, to look at humanity for what it is, right? To look at people beyond their race, beyond their religion, right? Beyond their color, right? So so that again, like, I, I repeat myself so that we do not let history repeat itself because these children are going to grow up, right? Are going to come into like politics that there are going to, you know, be some people who when they go through this, these children going through this education system will get into power. And if they're being taught in a way where they understand where they call spade a spade, you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. When it comes to certain things, we have to call spade a spade and we have to fight for our rights, right? I think, and we have to become voices for the oppressed. Right. It's, it's our voice it's because you and I are in a place of privilege if we are and if we recognize that we should be able to voice out our opinions and I feel like I think you and I both as individuals we don't shy away from doing that 
we accept our privilege. We understand it. We're not living in a bubble either. I think we really recognize it and we know when to be, become the voice for the, for the one who does not have a voice, right? So it's absolutely important to create individuals like you and myself who are able to become that vessel for them, right? And to be able to communicate that. And for, for example, I'd say, like you mentioned how, you know, about decolonizing the curriculum and stuff, it's really important to be aware of, I, I feel like other cultures, like I, I'll come back to the example where I lived, I've lived in the UK for three years. Right, I lived in Hounslow, and uh, so I've, I've I've had the schooling experience in the UK for three years. It was uh, uh, it was it was great. I I you know I love how the schooling works in the UK, but then I felt like there were some you know students who weren't really aware of you know uh, people in Pakistan because I I had to I heard things like you know your English is so good. How come your English is so good? Right, people perhaps thought that you know someone from Pakistan would not know how to speak in English. Uh, however, there are there is a certain population, although in minority, but there are people like myself who know how to speak in English. And then things like you don't look like you don't look Pakistani, you know. And, and that was interesting because Pakistan is a diverse, uh, you know, country. You know, we're multicultural. You know, we have different ethnicities, different provinces. Everybody looks different. So you know, I while on the one hand, I was aware of you know the, the how UK is you know multicultural. There are people from different races, different ethnicities, different cultural backgrounds. So I was really aware of that. But then when as 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 a, as a Pakistani uh, you know nation uh, studying in the UK, that was something that you know I felt that students who were living there perhaps weren't really uh, aware of. You know, so I think again when it comes to having that like you mentioned that you know when you're decolonizing the curriculum you know it, it can't <laughs> it has to genuinely be decolonized right you, you can't like then again have your own kind of you know uh, underlying perceptions in it so I, I just want to kind of like touch on like a few lessons there which is like so for example when I was younger like um my family and understand at the time we used to be like, oh mom, I don't want to do it. But you know, we were forced to go to like uh sessions which would teach us about the history of Pakistan and about our heritage. And I'm not gonna lie, Anish, I did find it dull, but I was like eight or nine, I was bored, right? Like on a weekend, that's not what you want to do. And I have to say, if that had been at school, I would have probably had a very different experience of it. But mm. if it wasn't for those sessions and they were really to be fair they weren't like terrible like they were fun like public speaking sessions and you know they'd be like um we're almost like what you might call now a webinar but just like over 20 years ago um I learned about Guy Diazan there I learned about Alama Iqbal there and I would never have known I have to say, I would never have known about those. Those are the only, and to be fair, the other problem for me, those are the only two figures I probably can recall, which is ridiculous. Oh, I'm glad you know the founder of Pakistan, right? But this, is, how, but this is how ridiculous, but how crazy is that? I remember I've got a vague memory of what he looked like. You know, I've got a vague memory of some of Alama Iqbal's poetry and that's it. And I have to, and, and, and so for me, as somebody who is a Pakistani woman, right, like of Pakistani heritage, yes, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a British citizen and, you know, born and raised here with very little um, exposure to my country of heritage or ethnic, eth ethnicity, if that's the sort of phrase for it. It's quite, I have to, like now at the age of 32, it's quite almost disappointing that my understanding of my cultural heritage is reduced to two figures. 
do you see what I mean? Like in terms of my understanding of my sort of background and my my identity, like you said before, is reduced to those, or part of my identity, let's say, is reduced to those two figures. Or what I've learned in, in textbooks and at university here, because I did at uni, I did choose all of the colonial, post-colonial modules, but it again is effectively reduced to not the beauty of your country, right? It's not, it's not the, um, the, and we'll come on to this because when you mentioned your three years in the UK, but it's not, it's got nothing to do with like the, the best bits about Pakistan. It's all about all the struggle, poverty, difficulties, like it, there's no if that do you know what I mean like there's no kind of like it's not it's not taught on a level playing field to western history you know and like you said like the universities of like first universities in Morocco like Middle Eastern medicine you know all of those things again you probably in this country anyway um if my knowledge of history serves me well studying it at university as well um in that you're not you're only taught that that global history or that global perspective if you choose those subjects so if yeah. after the age of i think it's 14 still if after the age of 14 you don't choose subjects like politics history uh the sort of art social science type subjects if you don't choose them in a way your mainstream education is shut off from the world and I have to say I, I do wonder whether that in itself is what causes further fear the power sort of I don't know you, I don't know what the word is for it but the sort of like um this idea of like you know the rich get richer the poor get poorer type thing because we don't have an understanding we don't have an understanding of global perspective we don't have an understanding of global narratives and it was like um i i have referenced it quite a few times but adichi um the author she she does a she's done a ted talk on narrative and voice and how you know and it's quite it is quite funny at times where like you said when you came to this country people were like oh you can speak English like is that like a is that a thing like I mean you know you could argue they're probably saying it in a way that well they can't speak Urdu or Punjabi so how the hell can you speak English so I maybe from an innocent perspective that's what they're thinking but equally we both know it's probably not like it's going to go deeper I think again like you know even like when you look at these shows right when you when you're uh when let's say when you're netflixing and like when we were chilling right you look at these shows I mean you look at this typical Indian character mm. you would see uh you know like a typical your brown boy black hair what are you doing how are you doing what what's going on right <laughs> it's, 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 it's on purpose Nahara like these things are you know like it's and I power dynamics are at play here and I understand that we're not talking about individuals right individuals all over the place or over the world there are individuals like you and many other in the UK and the US who understand these differences, right but then when you look at it on a broader level when you look at the bigger picture there's a power dynamics at play right it's an unfair power imbalance where when, you know when you say the rich gets richer the poor gets poorer now you look at the bigger picture you look at the developing countries and you look at the developed countries you look at their histories you look at the developing countries' histories, you look at the developed countries, you see that there's a very unfair power dynamics that's at play, right? 
sometimes I feel like Pakistan as a country, the fact that, you know, we're still like here is because perhaps we've been able to become a nuclear power, right? Otherwise, mm -hmm. we would have been like any other country that, as we all know, right, must have been like in shambles right now, right? Because mm -hmm. we have that, uh, let's say, a stable way of defending ourselves, which is why Pakistan perhaps is still like a stable place. So I feel like it's on a political level, right? Not I'm not talking about citizens around the world, right? They're citizens, they're great citizens around everywhere. You'll see good people everywhere, right? That so you'll see people voicing out open, uh, voicing out like, like like I mentioned, right? That their voices, their vessels for the oppressed, right? So for example, I'll give you an example where uh, I think there was a father of the church who said that we pray for the for the Palestinians, right? So we all understand that this is more like a human. To be able to understand that an issue is a humanity issue, you don't need to belong to a certain religion, right? I mean, Pakistan is a country where we have Christians, we have Hindus, right? Um, we have people from different religions. We, we understand where they're coming from, right? So, so it's sometimes, again, the idea that we need to understand that some things are a humanitarian issue. They're not a religious issue. You don't look through a, let's not have a myopic vision. Let's not have a tunnel vision. Let's let's look at things with a, with a bigger perspective. And I feel like when it comes to, Again, I'll repeat myself when it comes to certain things, developed countries versus developing countries, there is a power um, imbalance. And it's, 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 it's something that's very easy to kind of uh, see. So kind of going back to what you said about, you know, there being different religions, different ethnicities in Pakistan, just like there are here, just like there are across the world. That's not too, because I'm just thinking of like responses I've had in the past to say, yeah, but, you know, there was this terrible incident in Pakistan or there was this terrible incident in England in London type thing against minorities right like so over here there's been a lot of um attention even recently to like the sort of plight of women and the way we have to sort of like subconsciously protect ourselves whether it be like I'm just kind of using that as like a blanket example equally there are microaggressions in Pakistan too just yeah. like there are microaggressions here yeah. but that isn't to what I find is because and this is where like just coming back to the I didn't finish what I was going to say about digital media which is that <laughs> digital media is great However, it cannot be your only source of learning, because if you apply a very absolutely accept that certain unfortunate and horrible, like horrible things that just shouldn't happen, that just shouldn't happen, the violence, the atrocities, they just shouldn't happen. They are also not a defining feature of the entire nation. Do you, absolutely do you yeah. see what I mean like and I find that and that is the unconscious I don't know whether that, well I guess it would be an element of unconscious bias prejudice what we need to do is then accept and absolutely condemn those atrocities though that brutality but not then blanketly which is what the media does I guess not then blanketly say well everybody there must be like that or everybody there must yeah, suffer don't from poverty paint everyone with the same brush right don't paint it with the same color exactly and like as much as people might say oh no but we don't do that my head is always like but your unconscious bias must it does do that of course it does that my unconscious bias does that like yeah, it, of same. course it does I, that we, we again I feel like when you're growing up right? There's so many things that 
you absorb as a child, right? That, that you've kind of conditioned into. And that is what education should do, right? Yeah. To help you, to guide you, to kind of uh, release, make you escape from those shackles of those preconceived notions to help you unlearn things, right? So again, uh, those mindsets that can be detrimental for you, right? I had my own, it's very difficult. Again, it's very easy for us to have the communication. Of course, it's very difficult to unlearn the things that uh, you've learned since the since you were a child, right? Can, what is conditioning, right? It's when over a period of time you get exposed to, to certain narratives and you get conditioned and, and that becomes your reality. So it's not, we're not here to like blame X and blame Y and it's, we're just here to like understand just understand that the person who's on the other side of the screen is a human. Absolutely. I'm a human, you're a human, right? There's yeah. there's no debate about it, right? But then also being aware that perhaps someone who's living in the UK is more privileged, right? Than perhaps someone who's living in Pakistan, right? And there's a history behind it. To just be able to understand that and not to look at people with, with let's say a lens, like a prejudice lens that you know, a chap, this particular person will probably be, you know, because I am from Pakistan, I will be like this, right? Or because you're from the UK, you'll probably be like this. That's not uh, how it should be. So, um, no, and I, I, I completely agree. Like, I think, and that is something that is quite, obviously, we're all human. So there will be points and things are personally triggering. Like I used to always say this to students. And obviously, this is a podcast aimed at teachers, students and parents to sort of bring the narrative together and accept that there are different narratives at play, different perspectives at play, in that, of course, every child sitting like arm to arm, shoulder to shoulder in a classroom will have a different experience. Things will trigger people differently on a personal level, on a political level, on a global level. What we all need to do, however, is kind of just check in with ourselves and remember that we're all global citizens. And, and, and it was it was another teacher who I just thought it was fantastic what he said to me, which was about the sort of like kind of side effect theory or the so what theory, which is that you could like, so if we're talking about free speech, you could project what you think out into the world. So if somebody does think, oh, well, everybody from Pakistan is poor, right? Or everybody from Pakistan hates a certain, or everybody from the UK is this, right? And guys, I really don't think this, I'm just using these as blanket examples. Um, but if somebody was to use that, you almost need to say, okay, you, you've, you've sort of used your free speech um, right, but what is the impact of that? Like, let, let's talk about the impact of that. You have just branded an entire population and a group of people, an individual as something. You've branded their identity. You've branded parts of their character. That has an impact. It has an impact in terms of it can fuel hate. It can fuel resentment. It can fuel lies, you know? Like, as much as social media is great, we know that there's a lot of fake news out there. It can fuel um, isolation, you know? It can actually, as opposed to being global citizens, we just end up becoming sort of global robots, you know, just sort of knowing oh. that to each other without actually knowing who each other is and what we do, you know? Like, you're a teacher, I'm a teacher. There's a major identity relationship there. We could easily connect across a range of conversations, across a range of issues, but obviously, 
there are certain things that we're just not going to connect on, right? That doesn't mean that we can't have a mutual, equitable conversation, um, a, a relationship, you know? And I think Absolutely. that's so important for students to understand that in order to connect with people on a global level, you've got to be empathetic, you've got to be compassionate. You've just got to, like you said, unlearn your bias and be just have a conversation. Just ask them, okay, so what's it like to live in Pakistan? What's it like to go to school there? What is it like? And like you've just said, like there is a there is privilege in Pakistan for certain students, for certain people. There are government schools. You yourself might not necessarily relate to the experience of those who have been to a government school. There are over 20 million children out of school, but equally there are I'm I, there are millions of students in school right there are those 22 million out of school doesn't mean they're not doing anything purposeful you you know like you said they could be learning skills in another way we'd hope and that's what we want to enable that's what we want to enable in terms of if education is going to become wholly inclusive it's not just about enabling a textbook it's about enabling education in several different capacities and in many different ways Absolutely. I think you've summarized it quite beautifully, Zahara. Oh, and uh, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And I feel like, again, like I think um, I just uh, um, mentioned that, you know, again, we just need to rethink um, the discourses around discoveries and origin, right? We need to, let's say, while reading a text, we need to imagine, you know, what this would look like from a perspective of, let's say, a post-colonial thought and try to deconstruct the dominant narrative in our own settings. And uh, yeah, I think that's really important. And I feel like as parents or as teachers or as students, just be curious. I think that's just something that um, I just repeat what you just mentioned, right? That just be curious, be willing to ask questions and sort of, again, don't, don't meet someone through that uh, lens of you know your preconceived notions. Don't look don't look at someone through this X Y Z notion. Just look at them as a person, as someone who's uh, perhaps at an equal footing as you. All human beings. Because here's how I perceive anyone that I meet. Right, anyone that I meet, uh, I see them as someone who is my equal. Right, absolutely my equal, and I see them as somebody who I can learn from. Right, anyone that you meet has something to teach you, right? Be it about their culture, about their language, uh, about their life issues, whatever, right? Everyone has something to, to teach you, right? And if, if there's something that you're not really proud of, maybe they've taught you something that you should not be doing, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's, there's something to learn from everyone and to just be able to, and again, there's a caveat to everything, like you mentioned before as well, that we need to, as human beings, we need to see, we need to look at spade for what it is. A spade is a spade, right? I'll, um, uh, again, just quote this example of what's going on right now in the world. Uh, between, I know this wasn't something that, you know, isn't, I'm kind of slightly going off topic, but what's happening in Palestine right now, right? The entire issue that is, is, is a power dynamics issue, right? They, Palestine does not have an army of its own, right? Their literal lives, their children, who uh, don't know whether they'll wake up alive the next day or not, right? That their parents, I mean, that their kids getting orphaned. Imagine the kind of childhood trauma these kids are gradually kind of developed. So as adults, I just wonder what their life would be like, 
you yeah. know, because yeah. childhood trauma is something that has an impact on you till, till adulthood, right? So these are the things that we really need to understand. And as individuals, just think that how can we be a voice for the oppressed and to genuinely see what's happening on grounds. There's a country that has an army versus a country that does not have an army, right? There is no, in this, in this scenario, we can't really say that we're not, we're not labeling, we're not, we're not anti any religion, right? We're not, this is not a religious game. This is, uh, this is not, this is not a religious uh, fight. It's, it's more like, you know, fighting for the right cause. It's like fighting for the one who's getting oppressed, right? And, and, and it's an unfair thing, right? What, what is justice? What is, what is justice? I mean, can someone please, I'm, I'm, what is the definition of justice? As Even as teachers, when we're talking about justice, when we tell a child, hey, you know, for example, I'll give you an example about class because my class management is like really, <laughs> like, you know, first year teacher problems. Uh, so uh, there was a kid and he, he, you know, he had, he pushed like, so I got complaints from him, right? From, from certain students that, you know, he, he pushed him and then I was like, okay, fine. Because I was a new teacher, so I didn't really know how to kind of deal with that situation, right? And when the third time, when I saw the child push someone in front of my own eyes, I kind of took him towards the side, right? I, I'm against, you know, I think belittling a student in front of the class. I think that's something that is horrible and should never be done by any teacher. So I was like, hey, you know, I was like, do you, how, how, you know, how would you feel if someone, you know, uh, pushes you? Would you feel nice? Like, you know, how, how would that feel to you? And he's like, um, you know, I will not feel nice if someone pushes me. So I was like, you know, please, let's, let's, I know you're such a good boy. Please, you know, let's not uh, do this next time. And Zahara, from, after having that conversation, that child completely changed. He started listening to me. I don't know what that, and this conversation seems like a very simple conversation that I had with him, right? But he, he turned into a completely different student. So, I mean, by this, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, just, again, you know, be that voice for the, if someone is getting oppressed, be a voice for someone for the oppressed, right? So be that agent of change who voices out their opinion and being able to have that rational mind and be and just for a second let go of all the biases that you have and look at the situation for what it is on the ground, right? Mm -hmm. It's the first time in history that someone actually has to explain that hey, I'm being oppressed, right? But when it comes to let's say the case of Palestine and Israel, that I'm the Palestinians are saying that we're being oppressed and this is the the history behind it. This is what we went through. This is what's still going on. There's a power dynamic that's being at place here. Our, you know, our, we're getting dispossessed. Like the, and, and you know, it's, it's sad how the narratives are just being twisted, right? And we need to understand that on a very individual level, like you mentioned, right? Like you also take, take a time out if there's like conversation where sometimes you have to step up and speak for, for the oppressed, for someone who can't defend themselves. We're talking about... At this point, about a country or about a, a, a place that can't really defend itself, right? And these students, like the children, if we start educating them from, from the get-go to become empathetic citizens, right? These are our leaders. The children of today are the leaders of tomorrow, right? So it's if we kind of start equipping them with certain questions, right, for them to be able to see I don't know, basic critical thinking, right? That's 21st century skills, yo. 
yeah no I completely agree and I think when you think of the case of like you're saying like what's, what's happening in Palestine what's happening in that and Israel like that area of Middle East it's it is that idea of whenever I speak to or hear from students it's almost about and this is where digital media becomes quite tough and tricky where yes it's a platform to learn and advocate for the voice of the oppressed but on an individual person people level sometimes you have to almost just take yourself off of it take yourself out of it and just remember that you like that them are a person so it's got nothing to do with politics i mean we all know we all know it has a lot to do with politics but on a human person level in terms of us as average standard individuals, we are like micro dots on the planet. So from that point of view, nobody's expecting us to go, you know, like go to the UN or wherever it is, you know, like go into mediating meetings. I mean, obviously there might be some of us, who, some students who absolutely have those aspirations, but in this moment in time, I always say, just check yourself. Who are you? What is it that you do? What is it that you can do? And what is it that you can't do, right? So I, you know, I'll just give myself as an example. I live in the Western world. I have the privilege of coming from a fairly comfortable background. I have a range of tech in front of me. I have a platform called School Should Be. I used to be a teacher in the classroom. I have a network of students and teachers. When this all happened, of course, I was very personally, and I still am affected by it on a human level. It is difficult to watch and see what is happening. So what is it that I can do about it? Well, what I can do do is be an ally, advocate my support, learn, I can read books, I can step away from social media and think, right, let me read books by Palestinian authors, let me read books about the history of um, Israel and Palestine, let me research what did happen, what words do I not know about, let me uh, donate, you know, like charity is one of the things that I, and you know, people may say different things about charity, like in terms of donations and stuff and where the money goes, etc. But, you know, research that as well, like donate to platforms and to people who are on the ground who will be able to help. You know, we all have the World Wide Web, or the majority of us do, at like the, at our fingertips. So do that. If I do have money that I can donate, do that. Podcasts like this, right? Like, what is it, one of the ways I am somebody who is intrinsically interested in education and learning and teaching people and students? So I will use that. I will use that strength of mine to, for good, I hope, right? Yeah. But what I can't do, for example, unfortunately, as much as I would, I'm sure we would all love to do it. What I can't do is just go in, stop it and get them all to be peaceful. What I can't do is bring those poor children back to life. What I can't do is bring those parents back to life. What I can't do, unfortunately, is, you know, as much as we would, you know, you want so desperately to do is to lift the blockade and, and the and the oppression you know you just can't do that and what can happen I think on a human level and you know we've all been there especially in the last few weeks is that you can um become disillusioned by that you become disillusioned by and you do it then affects your own mental health 
it then affects your own uh, thought process. And at that stage, it's when you're like, okay, let me not get disillusioned by what I can't do. Let me do become more um, aware of what I can do. Absolutely, because of course, like there's certain things that are in our locus of control and there's certain things that are just not, right? So the things that are in our locus of control, let's just kind of do that. And I think you're doing that right now. Yeah. So for, for, to be honest, just continue doing this. I, I love the fact that you're, you're having these uh, quote unquote difficult conversations, which to be honest, let's all live for a day where these conversations aren't called difficult anymore. Yeah. right absolutely. So it's, it's absolutely because of people like you let's just continue having these discussions these conversations having these this dialogue that kind of just brings awareness to people and that's it sometimes you never know there might be a person who, who listens to this particular podcast and this might have an impact in their lives mm -hmm. and because of this this might have like a domino effect with the kind of people they're linked with and associated with right so it's just this is it seems tiny but i feel like it has a huge impact in the longer run so I think yeah. we should continue to just do this, having these dialogues and conversations. And Anusha, I could talk to you forever, but I feel like this is like a good point to uh, leave the pot for now. And I feel like there are so many questions still unanswered. So maybe we'll do another one soon or do some more work <laughs> together because, you know, it's been, no, because it's been so, it's been just quite refreshing to have such an open conversation with somebody who lives across the world from me right now and I live across the world from you from two very different but equally related backgrounds yeah. and you know effectively like we've just said you just sort of connect on a um on a sort of human level effectively like for one of a better I don't mean that in a cliched way but you know and I think it's important for students and teachers to realize that no matter what the dynamic of your classroom is no matter where in the world your classroom is you can all pretty much connect on a human level you know everybody has a childhood everybody goes through adolescence everybody wants ha has aspirations and ambitions so let's just connect on that level absolutely absolutely and like on that note i just like to thank you for inviting me Zahara, on my first ever podcast <laughs> so, <laughs> i hope i made sense you did but, you did uh, no you did also, i love your manicure by the way loving the oh, thanks I love it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much um but no <laughs> we will um thank you so much for your time and um it's been really interesting to learn about teaching and learning there your perspectives your uh and just i feel like we've talked about a lot <laughs> no, I, <laughs> no, i'd love to kind of have um and i just say one thing please continue having such conversations Zahara. we need more people like you who become that voice i think uh, we need more podcasts like this where a different perspective is kind of discussed I think that's super important. So thank you so much. No, thank you. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, but we will speak soon. Definitely, definitely. We definitely will. And uh, thank you so much. You can edit the parts, right? You can edit yeah. like the... <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, please do leave us a review and share it with your friends and family so they can also learn all about what school should be. Until next time, speak to you soon.